Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to again to look to your scriptures. Lord, we thank you for the stories uh, throughout the Old Testament and how they point to you. And Lord, as we open up your word today, that you would give us insight and understanding and that we would see them through the lens of Jesus and, uh, and understand how they point towards Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. So Steve mentioned we're starting a new sermon series today. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, this is going to take us up until Harvest Missions Festival in, uh, in late November there. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're looking at stories in the Old Testament, uh, just kind of some of the classic popular stories, and how they point to Jesus, illustrate Jesus, lead us to Jesus, uh, that kind of thing. And so today we're, we're going to be starting in Genesis with the story of creation. And, and where do we already see Jesus um, uh, at that point? Uh, there's one point, um, the, um, John records this in his gospel. Jesus is talking, uh, and I think in the context, he, he's actually scolding some of the religious leaders. And, um, but he says this in John 5.39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And, there, and there's a couple other places where a similar thing happens, right? Just of the Old Testament stories that, that point to Jesus. Now, some of it do it very directly. So in the Old Testament, we're going to find prophecies that speak very clearly and predict facts about Jesus, right? You know, he's going to be born a virgin. He's going to be uh, born in Bethlehem. Um, no bones will, will be broken in his body. He's going to be a descendant of David. He's going to spend some time in Egypt and, and that kind of thing. But then there are other Old Testament stories that um, help us just kind of, uh, they, they prepare us. Um, they, they give us perhaps just um, understanding about humanity or understanding around the character of God, right? Just our own sin nature, our need for a savior, you know, God's love, God's character, that kind of thing. Some parts of the Old Testament are history. Some parts of the Old Testament are wisdom liter- uh, literature. We've got five books that just give us great advice on, on godly living. But even in the stories, even in, in the historical stories, it's amazing how they can point towards Jesus. Um, many of you are probably familiar with the story of the Israelites being in uh, slavery in Egypt, and then Moses comes and they're freed, and then they wander the desert, and, and then they go into the promised land, right? So you've got the Israelites, they're in bondage, they're in slavery, then you have this, this individual, Moses, comes, frees them. They leave the, the land of slavery. They actually wander through the desert for one generation, and then they enter into the promised land, right? New Testament, Jesus, we're, we're in, you know, bondage and slavery to sin. Jesus comes along, saves us. We wander this earth for one generation, and then we enter into the promised land, right? I mean, the, the parallels between what happens to the Israelites and the salvation story are so close, like you could almost say that, that the Old Testament is simply an analogy for the New Testament. It's not. We believe it's literal and that it happened. 
But just the way it lines up is so amazing. So the Old Testament has got all kinds of amazing stories like that that in some way kind of foreshadow uh, Jesus and what's going to happen in the New Testament. The reason that the Old Testament points to Jesus is that Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Before creation, before anything was made, Jesus was the plan. Uh, Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Matthew 25.34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Acts 2.23, Jesus delivered up according uh, to the definite, uh, uh, definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. God planned our rescue story before anything was made. Because he knew that our rescue story involving Jesus would be needed. And so then in doing so, he incorporated and gave hints about Jesus all through the Old Testament. God knew that Jesus would be needed. He, he knew that from the beginning. And so all throughout Scripture, we find direct references, subtle hints uh, that Jesus is coming. And so today, looking at Genesis uh, 1 to 3, the creation story. Um, and, and like I said, we're going to be looking at just kind of some of the classic popular stories from the Old Testament. Just as a reminder, Genesis 1 to 3 uh, covers a lot of history of, of humanity. So in Genesis 12, we see a transition where the storyline really begins to focus in on Abraham, Isaac, the Israelites, that kind of thing. So that transition happens Genesis uh, 12. Genesis 1 to 11 really deals with kind of all of humanity. It covers a lot of time very quickly. Genesis 1 to 11, just in, in regards to years, covers as much time frame or more than the rest of the scripture combined, right? So we're moving very fast through the history of humanity. At the same time, if, you're, if you have the lens of Jesus, Genesis 1 to 11 pretty much tells it all. I actually had one friend say, he goes, if I could only preach one section of scripture for the rest of my life, I'd go Genesis 1 to 11. Because it's all there, right? So, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. Genesis 1. Um, I'll read a few verses um, here and there as we go along, but just kind of the, the, the general theme in, or the general idea. So, Genesis 1 um, begins with, and really all of Scripture begins with this phrase, In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. That phrase... Right? That one, two, three, four, five words. That five words. If we believe that to be true, and we do believe that to be true, if those five words are true, then we have just done away with atheism, agnosticism, dualism, materialism, polytheism, existentialism, hedonism, pantheism, and panantheism. Okay? We haven't even hit word six, right? First five words, we've done away with all that. In Genesis 1, there are two different Hebrew words that get used for God creating stuff, right? Uh, one of them is, is the word bara, B-A-R-A, bara, right? Uh, it means to create something out of nothing. It's used very sparingly, and it's only ever used in reference to God creating something and in reference to God creating something out of nothing, right? Very powerful words, uh, reserved only for a couple of occasions— um, it's used three times, actually, 
And on the third time, it's used three times to, to kind of reinforce kind of the, the perfection and, and the force and, and to emphasize that third usage, right? And, I mean, we don't, I, I took out a page and a half on just the number correlation. Just if you love numbers, like, there, there's so many number things in Genesis uh, 1 to 3. Well, Genesis 1, it's amazing. But anyways, um, Barah. Okay, Genesis 1 to 1. This is the first time that we see the word Barah. In the beginning, God created. God Barah, the heavens and the earth. Second time it's used, Genesis 1.21. So God created, God Barah, the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with uh, which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Third usage. Poem. It's used three times, indicating perfection and the culmination of, of the creation project. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? So God brought the, the, the heavens and the earth, made it out of nothing. Several days pass, he, do some, he does some other stuff. He arranges things, plants some vegetation, that kind of stuff. Then God needs animals, reptiles, fish, right? So again, God brought right? All of the wildlife. And then lastly, his masterpiece. So they emphasize it with, with, with the threes. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the beginning, God, Barah. You were, you are, the crowning achievement of his creation. When you know that something is incredibly valuable to you and you know that it's going to go missing, then from the beginning you craft a very good rescue plan to bring back that which was lost. And Jesus tries to convey your importance um, you know, I mean, several times at one point he's got the parable of the lost sheep and then the lost coin and then, you know, the, the lost son, right? But the point of those stories is that you are of incredible value to him and that he loves you very much and that he desires to draw you back to himself. Genesis 2. So Genesis 1, kind of big overview. Genesis 2 kind of zooms in a little bit. Uh, man is created, Adam and Eve. We know that Adam and Eve were real people, that, that they were individuals, simply because Jesus and the New Testament speak of them as individuals and, and real people. Um, the first thing that, that you see is just how man is created with kind of this dual nature. So Genesis 2-7, The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God makes all of these amazing, wonderful things in, in nature, but for each one, he speaks and they're formed, right? He says it, it's done. Time and time again, he speaks, they're formed. Day one, day two, day three, he speaks, they're formed. But then day six, God stops. He holds, you know, counsel. He holds a little meeting. Let us make man in, in our image. There's discussion about it. God forms man from the dust of the ground, but then, in addition, God breathes into him 
the breath of life, and man becomes a living creature. We are the only creation to be made of both earth and spirit. Every, that's the only thing in all of God's creation to be made of both earth and spirit in that way. I always kind of get a kick out of some of the, the nature shows, you know, and they're talking about, like, how smart the animals are because, you know, like, they used a stick to, like, collect the ants and, you know, you, oh, the chimp is so clever. Like, he made a tool and, you know, all right, like, we have this common heritage because he, you know, he, he made it, he fashioned a tool to collect the ants, you know? as I watch it on my flat-screen TV, live-streaming internet in my air-conditioned house while scrolling on my iPhone 5. You know, but yeah, I mean, he made a stick. Good job with that. Humans and animals are different. Totally, completely different. We are different in design. We're different in function. No animal, no animal will ever be endowed with made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God, and that will always make us special and unique. A lot of the creation story displays the character of God, and, and that's important. And I think some of it is a foretaste of the salvation experience. God rested on day seven. That's really silly, because <laughs> God wasn't tired. Right? Like, I get that he did a lot. I mean, creating the cosmos and a few billion stars and that kind of thing. But that said, all he did was speak, right? Like, he, like he spoke and, and all of this stuff, right? God didn't need rest. God doesn't get tired. That was for our benefit. He did that as an example, as a model for us. God is, is resting for our, our benefit and, and, and as a model to us. Here's the other thing, though, that I find very interesting. Man is created on day six. I don't know if it's morning, afternoon, evening, whatever. Man is created on day six, though. The next day, day seven, is the day that God rests. So man's first full day of existence is actually a place of rest with God. God, man begins, his existence begins his relationship with God the Father from a place of rest. A few years ago, we went through Ephesians. We, we looked at kind of the general framework of the book um, using the, the idea of sit, walk, stand, um, which, which, I mean, in, in the book of Ephesians. And so Ephesians, in the beginning, talks about, like, sitting, really, in our identity of Christ, and then talks about walking in the world, and then it talks about standing against the enemy. It's a progression, and I think it's an important one, but we begin our spiritual journey from this place of rest, from, in this position of sitting, uh, of learning uh, our identity in Christ. The work comes later. The rest comes first. Paul talks about Adam more than any other New Testament author. Um, he also compares Adam to Jesus. Um, Paul makes comparisons between Adam, who let sin into the world, and, and then the second Adam, who, who he calls Jesus. Adam was one who, who allowed sin, death into the world. Jesus is the one who brought justification. Adam's transgressions resulted in condemnation for all. Jesus' death allowed for life for all who would accept it. Adam is natural, perishable, mortal. Jesus is eternal, spiritual, immortal. Adam brings death. Jesus brings life. There's, a, there's another connection, and it's kind of one of those ones where 
you know, some of the, the commentaries and the theologians write about it, and I'm like, oh, I'm not seeing it yet, but maybe. Genesis uses uh, precious space to tell us how Eve is made from the rib of Adam, right? There's all kinds of cool symbolism we can unpack from that. When Jesus is crucified, they pierce him in the side, in the rib, to confirm his death. And so some are saying there's this, the rib not only provides connection between Adam and Eve, it even provides a bit of connection between Adam and Jesus. Significant? Eh, I'm not sure. I'm seeing it yet, but maybe. Interesting, though. I will give it that. Then Genesis 3, right? So here, here's the summary of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2. God makes something really nice. Genesis 3, man goofs it all up. Rest of Bible, God is trying to fix what we goofed up in Genesis 3. Right? Like, we make it to page 2 before we ruin everything, and then the rest of the scripture is God putting it back in place. Right? Like, that's, that's the summary. Two people who have everything look at the one thing they're not supposed to have, and they decide they want it. Genesis 3.16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Satan comes, misleads them, lies to them, uh, plants doubts in their mind, questions what God says. Question. He never talks about how good the fruit is. He simply challenges the character of God and whether or not God is trustworthy and whether or not God can, can be believed and whether or not God is okay. Never, doesn't talk about how great and wonderful the fruit is, just challenges the, the character of God. They eat the fruit. Sin enters the world. A certain level of authority is surrendered to Satan. Sin, disease, decay, corruption, death, murder, envy, strife, hatred for God— all of it enters the world at that point in time. And I would also say Genesis 3, and I will unpack this, but in a certain way, Genesis is 3 it is why the world makes sense to me. If I believe that all of humanity are born good, I have a hard time figuring out why just all the sin and the suffering in the world. It doesn't make sense. I can't piece it together. But if I believe that all of humanity were born sinners, and I mean, we're trying to climb out of that, and we're trying to claw our way towards something good, but if I believe that we're just born sinners, and, and that is just kind of how we start, then I can watch the news, and I can go, that's disgusting, and that's atrocious, and that's awful, but we're all born sinners, so at least I understand where it's coming from. Like, in, in a weird way, it makes sense. And that is why we need Jesus. Genesis 3 gets enacted before our very eyes every day. Every day. Just look around. It's Genesis 3, too, that really gives us the first prophecy and the clue about Jesus. Um, God is uh, cursing uh, the serpent or, or Satan. He says this, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, dust uh, you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. 
the Hebrew on that brew, uh, for word bruise is actually two different words. The first one, he shall bruise your head, that means to crush, uh, to squash in, to trample, to tread on. The second one, he shall uh, but bruise his heel, that means to like strike or to slap. Pretty, pretty big difference. Christ suffered on the cross, but Satan was defeated on the cross. I have a video clip for you. You can roll that video clip. There, there's no sound on it. Um, you've probably seen this video clip online. Uh, it's been around for a little while. Uh, it's a piece of art by a French artist, Bernard Pras, Pras P-R-A-S, um, and it's a, a portrait. Um, Bernard is a... Um, you can go ahead and, and roll that. Um, he's a French painter, photographer, sculptor, um, and he's developed this style of art where he assembles, for lack of a better word, uh, garbage and turns it into portraits. And so the video clip starts off where you're looking through the glass lens, and then they pull back, and then they walk around to the side. And he's done this for, he's done all kinds of portraits like this. Some small, some big. Um, I mean, it's just, you look at it from the side, and you go, well, you have garbage glued together and suspended in the air, right? Um, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. Like, is that a wheelbarrow in there? Like, I don't even, I think there's a couch back there, and I don't even know what half that stuff is or where you find it. I would hate to see a studio because probably just three sheds of garbage to make this stuff, you know. Um, but when you come back around and you look at it through the lens, it's a portrait. And really, it's kind of interesting because once he goes back around, then you see all the garbage. Then in, in some ways, when you look through the portrait, then you're able to look for it. You're like, oh, that's, a, that's actually a fender there that's on his forehead and, you know, all this other stuff. You only see the art when you stand in exactly the right position. Viewed from any other angle, it just looks like random pieces of garbage in the air. Several parts of the Old Testament honestly don't make sense until you look through the lens of Jesus. When you're standing in the right place, when you're looking through the lens of Jesus, everything about the Old Testament, you see beauty, you see a plan, you see intentionality, you see cohesion, you, you, you see how it, it, it's connected in, in a lot, it just connected, everything fits together when you look through the lens of Jesus. No Jesus, and everything is just confusing, and doesn't make any sense. It's like looking at the artwork from the side. You're like, I don't see it. So you stand around and you look through the little lens, and you're like, there it is. A lot of great application and worldview stuff happens in Genesis 1 to 3. God created everything. God created you. You are the pinnacle of his creation. Man sinned. We're all born sinners. And, and, and so the, the world is falling apart. But I think the most important application for today 
is just this understanding that Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Before the beginning, really, before God created in the heavens and the earth, Jesus was the plan. And the plan was to rescue you, and the plan was to rescue your neighbor, and all of Scripture fits through the lens of Jesus. And when you use that, you begin to see Jesus all over the place in the Old Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the lens of Jesus. And Lord, as we do this series, we ask for your insight and your understanding um, into these Old Testament stories. And Lord, I pray that we would see them uh, with new eyes at just a richer and deeper level, that all of this would serve to grow our love for you, our commitment, our obedience to you, uh, our passion for you and, and for your kingdom. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.